0: When life gets hard, when things get uncomfortable, our greatest temptation is to just give up. Have you been tempted with that this week? Have you been tempted to just give up? Did you say to yourself, I'm gonna eat better this week, but come Friday, you said, stuff it. I'm just gonna treat myself to a nice big block of chocolate. Or did you wanted to go on the Bay Run this week? but you just gave up and told yourself, oh, look, it's just too cold. Well, if you're a Christian, one of the most persistent temptations is to just give up living for God. For some of you, that temptation comes consistently. For others, it comes only at certain points of difficulty and hardship in your life. But it doesn't usually come out of some dramatic moment. It usually comes out of a weariness of a long obedience in the same direction. Have you faced that temptation to just want to give up? Well, if that's how you might be feeling right now, then there is great hope in today's passage. We are in the series, The Acts of the Holy Spirit. And in today's story, we're going to see that God doesn't allow his people to just give up. Because he never gives up on us. And if you're new to our church and you want to get connected to our church community, please contact us on our website. We'll love to get connected with you. And in today's passage, here are the key scenes that we're going to see we're going to see the persecution of the church intensify, we're going to see Gamaliel's advice to the Sanhedrin, and we're going to see the apostles' response. So continuing the story, after the death of Ananias and Sapphira, we read that the Christians gathered in Solomon's colonnade, which is an area inside the temple court. And it became the first center, the first hub, of the preaching of the gospel in Jerusalem. And as the gospel was preached at Solomon's colonnade, many more men and women believed in Jesus. And so the church gathering at Solomon's colonnade just grew and grew. The apostles performed many signs and wonders, and that was to attest that they were the true apostles, the ones that were sent and commissioned by Jesus. And so many brought the sick to be healed by the apostles. Here's a model of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, just to help you visualize the setting. In the middle is the temple with the inner court and the holy place where only the high priests were allowed to enter. The gate to the inner court is most likely the beautiful gate where the crippled man was miraculously healed by the apostles and he entered the, the temple jumping and rejoicing to God. Outside the temple is the court of Gentiles, where non-Jews could access. The colonnade along the Eastern wall is Solomon's colonnade, also known as Solomon's portico or porch. Parts of the Western War is still intact today, which is where the Wailing War is. And so a massive crowd gathered at Solomon's colonnade. Many people came to faith in Jesus. And the early church continued to grow in an explosive way. And this made the Jewish leaders really mad, particularly a specific group of teachers of the Jewish law known as the Sadducees. The Sadducees, we read, were filled with jealousy. As they saw the crowd grow larger and larger, Uh, around the apostles, and so now we're seeing the tension between the early Christians and the religious leaders. We see that the Christians, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're filled with joy and confidence in the gospel. The Sadducees are filled with jealousy and hate. And so filled with jealousy and hate, they throw the apostles into jail, and they told them to not to preach the gospel, And then we read the most amazing thing from verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. And so the apostles, they're locked in jail. Do they now give up? No. God sends them an angel to break them out of jail. And the angel doesn't just swift them off to their homes, to a hiding place, to hide from the religious leaders. No, instead the angels command them to go back into the temple courts to continue to preach the gospel to the crowd. And that's astounding. The apostles, there were thrown in jail for preaching Christ, and now the angel sends them right back to continue to preach Christ right in the temple. The apostles are not going to give up preaching Christ because God has not given up on them. God would even send them an angel to free them. When things get difficult or uncomfortable, we often value our security and comfort more than God's great commission for us. We find in this story the most wonderful, beautiful picture of God's provision in the midst of the apostles' faithfulness. God is commanding them to continue to do the hard thing of preaching the gospel in a place where the religious leaders are enraged. Yet at the same time, God is showing his love and care for the apostle by freeing them from jail, demonstrating that he will provide for their needs and our needs if we seek first the kingdom of God. In the meantime, the Sadducees caught together the Sanhedrin which is the council and all the senate of the people of Israel. It's pretty much ancient Israel's government. So the entire government gathered as the Sanhedrin. And the fact of the Sanhedrin is to signal to us that the apostles were considered not just a threat to the temple, not just a threat to the religious authorities, now they're considered a threat as of national security. For us living in the modern city, western city, we would react to the spread of the Christianity as not a threat to national security. But we have to remember that even today, some countries would continue to see Christianity as a threat to the control and governance of a country. In some places, you would be thrown into jail and legally prosecuted for proclaiming Jesus Christ publicly and openly, as we see in places like China. And so Israel's parliament gathered, and the officers were sent to get the apostles, thinking that they were still in jail. But when the officers arrived in jail, they couldn't find the apostles. And eventually, Israel's leaders found out that the apostles were back in the temple courts, teaching, and the crowd is growing even larger than before. The officers finally bring the apostles back to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned and trialed. At this point, do the apostles now give up? No. Even at the trial, the apostles continue to preach Christ, but now to the whole Jewish council and all of the Senate. We read from verse 29 Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. The apostle answer the high priest's charge with one of the most important statements in the New Testament. We must obey God, not men. Not only is this a very immensely important for the Christian life, but it also helps understand the Christian's relationships to government within a biblical worldview. The Bible consistently teaches that the government has a rightful authority given by God himself. And thus all humans and especially Christians, are to submit to the authority of the government. Yet government themselves are not God. And so they can overreach their authority invested in by the one who is God. For instance, no government has a right to compel one's conscience to believe one idea over another. A government that forbids the worship of the one and true living God is one which at that point does not deserve and cannot receive christians to submit the apostles were not political revolutionaries their mission was spiritual but as jesus taught jesus kingdom is not of this world and so the apostles rightly understood the government's authority in their life but they also recognized that the government was not to be given ultimate and complete loyalty when the government demands that christians to compromise the gospel Christians must respectfully disobey human authority and remain faithful to God. In short, we must obey God and not men. And so thus even the government cannot stop God's mission. The apostles don't give up because they live for a higher authority, a higher power, who is God. And so Peter seizes the opportunity to preach and proclaim the gospel. Peter proclaims that they were the ones that killed God's own Son. He was the Prince, the Savior, through whom we can have the forgiveness of sins. Peter goes even further and says that they, the apostles, are the ones truly obeying God, proven by the fact that God gives them the Holy Spirit and not the Sanhedrin. We have to be impressed at the apostles here, that in the face of all of Israel's leaders, they did not compromise on the message of the gospel. They preached the gospel straight and unflinchingly. How did the Sanhedrin respond? They were enraged. They were furious and they wanted to kill the apostles. This is the point where the apostles, do they now give up? The entire Jewish leadership is now against them. They are pretty much backed into a corner. But again, we see, again, God sovereignly intervenes, and now he uses one of their own. He uses a Pharisee, one of the members of the Sanhedrin, to save the apostles. God uses one of the, think of it, the members of the opposition party to win their case. And this Pharisee's name was Gamaliel. Gamaliel is also historically well-known outside of Christian texts. Gamaliel at that time was widely known and had a good reputation within the Sanhedrin. He had reputation for scholarship, for wisdom and moderation. This illumination from 14th century uh, Sarajevo Haggadah pictures Rabbi Gamaliel. Gamaliel belonged to a particular stream of Pharisees. He belonged to the house of Hillel. Hyliel was a great sage who taught his disciples to focus on a very humane form of Jewish piety that values each and every life. And the interesting fact is that the Apostle Paul was a student of Gamaliel. And so when we see Gamaliel here in this text, he's bringing his wisdom. He's bringing his form of Jewish piety that values every human life to bear onto this situation. And his word carries the day. What does he say? We read his speech from verse 35. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All of his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. you will only find yourselves fighting against God. What Gamaliel was saying to the Sanhedrin was, look, we've had others claim to be Messiah who's led these messianic movements, and he mentions Theodos and Judas, as examples of these messianic pretenders, and he says, look, let's just be honest, they never amounted to anything, and all of them died, and their movements died with them. But, if this is from God, you don't want to be on the wrong side of that because it's never a good thing to be opposing God. But on the other hand, if it's not from God, well, it's all just going to come to an end. And so the people listened to him. The Sanhedrin were persuaded and saw the wisdom in Gamaliel's appeal. But we, the reader, know that Jesus is truly the Messiah. Because Jesus just didn't just die, he also rose from the dead. What makes Jesus stand apart from all other messianic pretenders is that Jesus' movement grew after he died. All the other messianic movements grew when the leader was alive, but the movement died when the leader died. Jesus' movement is the only movement that grew after he died because he's the only one That rose from the dead. Jesus was not a pretender. Jesus is the Son of God. Death could not hold him down. Therefore, his work, his ministry is not of human origin, but of divine origin. So, this movement will prevail. You won't be able to stop the apostles that Jesus has commissioned. So, don't be on the other side of Jesus. The apostles did not give up because Jesus, the true Messiah, Is on their side. You cannot stop God. The members of the Sanhedrin heeded Gamaliel's advice, and they did not kill the apostles. But the apostles uh, weren't not totally off the hook. The Sanhedrin had the apostles flogged and charged them to not to speak in the name of Jesus. It was still very brutal. So, how did the apostles respond to such cruelty and suffering? We read from verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Their response is so inspiring. Just imagine they left their Sanhedrin with their backs cruelly lacerated and bleeding, yet they rejoiced because they counted it worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. They could have gave up with great resentment. Instead, they kept on preaching the gospel throughout all of Jerusalem, from house to house we read, and with great rejoicing. We see difficulties and oppositions and discomfort as the reasons to be resentful and to give up. But the apostles, they had a totally different perspective. They saw difficulties, oppositions, pain and discomfort as reasons to be rejoicing for serving Jesus and to not give up. How did they have such an incredible perspective? How did they have the power and motivation to keep on serving Jesus even through such suffering and persecution. It came down to the worthiness of the name of Jesus, whom they serve. It's in the name of Jesus that we find the power and motivation to not give up, just like the apostles. In the ancient world, names were very significant. Names held significant meaning. Jesus' name means to rescue. But Jesus also had many other names. And in this text, Jesus is referred to as Lord, as Saviour, and Messiah. For Jesus to have the name Lord, it means that Jesus is sovereign Lord over all things. He is the highest authority over all kings, all governments, all kingdoms. We are to obey him over men. For Jesus to have the name Saviour, it means that Jesus forgives sin and frees us from the power of sin. And he's the only one that forgives even his enemies, even his killers. For Jesus had to name Christ, he's the one that is in control. He's the one that is sovereignly rules and uses all things to bring about the salvation of the world. He's the one that sends the angels uses a Pharisee to save the apostles to continue to preach the gospel for the salvation of this world? Why did the apostles have such courage? Why did they have the tenacity? Why did they have such perseverance? It's because they understood the name of Jesus. Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Savior, and Jesus is Christ Yesterday, I was walking down Darling Street, and I noticed a guy, and he waved to me and said, hi, Michael, and I looked at him. I recognized that he was one of the guys that attends the gym that I I go to, and in that moment, I forgot his name, and so I had that awkward moment and said, "Uh, hey, man, you know that thing that you do when you know that person, but you just can't remember their name, and you're like, what's his name? Friends don't we do the same thing with Jesus? Like when you're tempted to give up following and serving Jesus, isn't it because you've forgotten his name? And I don't mean you've forgotten the name Jesus, but you've forgotten some aspect of what that name means. So for instance, sometimes you're tempted to give up because you're not obeying Christ. And when that happens, your heart begins to grow hard and your faith begins to grow dim, and it's all rooted in disobedience. You're not just living in no longer in submission to Him. Well, can't you see that when that happens, you've forgotten that Jesus is Lord? Or sometimes you're tempted to give up because you're weighed down by your sins and your shame, your sense of failure to yourself or to your spouse or to God is just so persistent you've blown it again, and you find it hard to keep on going. And in that moment, can't you see that you've forgotten that Jesus is Saviour, that if He gives all your sins? Or sometimes you're tempted to give up because you start to lose hope. Just the brokenness of the world, the reality of life that we live in these current times, even right now, the, perhaps the reality of this pandemic starts to dull and diminish your hope. And in that moment, can't you see that you've forgotten that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the one that fulfills all hopes and longings of his people to see the salvation of this world? The apostles did not give up, and they had great courage because they didn't forget Jesus' name. They were willing to suffer for Jesus because They saw it as worthy of a name that Jesus has. They were grounded in the full reality of what Jesus' name meant. And friends, that is what we are meant to live like as well. And that is why we keep gathering on Sunday, even online, even through technical difficulties. That's why I keep on gathering in community groups, even online, even through perhaps Technical difficulties to preach, to teach one another, to be reminded of who Jesus is. Because as we remember his name, as we delight in his name, when we worship in his name, it rekindles for us the fullness of who Jesus is. And that is what and what Jesus has done and what it means to be his people. Friends, isn't it true? that we'll be willing to defend someone else's name, but just to a point, like I'll be willing to stand up for my friend up to a point, but it won't be the same as defending and standing up for my own name, my own reputation. And there's a difference between defending a friend and defending someone in your family. If you're picking on my sister, if you're picking on my child, well, we're going to have blows, aren't we? Because I'm now defending the family name. Friends, can't you see what Jesus has done for his people? He has given them his name. The name of Jesus is not some other name that we are called to defend and honor. Rather, it's the name that you have been invited into. It's our family name. We are called Christians, followers of Jesus the Christ, This is the name that we are to honour. This is the name that we are to count as worthy, to belong to, to identify with. The name to revere, to lift up and to glorify. And so here's the question for you this morning. What other name are you living for? Are you living for your own name? Are you living for your family name? Are you living for your company's name? Or are you living for a brand name? What name are you living for and is it as as worthy as the name of Jesus? Only the name of Jesus is worthy of our love, our sacrifice, our surrender, our worship, our obedience. It's the only name that at the end of the day that really matters, it's the only name that has the weight and significance for us to give ourselves to. Jesus is the only one who is Lord. Jesus is the only one who is Savior. And Jesus is the only one who is the Christ. This is what it means to be a Christian. And if you joined us today for the first time and you're not yet of that people, you've not yet surrendered to that name, then Jesus invites you in for his name to also be your family name, to be part of his people, to be part of his family. In fact, he's leading you this morning through his word to this very place. So friends, let's now pray in his name. Our Father God, we thank you for the beauty and significance of Jesus' name. We thank you for the early Christians in the way that they were willing to suffer dishonor for his name. Father, please forgive us for the ways we forget the name of Jesus. Forget the fullness of who Jesus is. May you convict us of the way that we live for smaller things. May you help us to repent to live for no other name but Jesus. We pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.